0: Genesis 22, verse 12. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me.
1: Welcome to Walking Through the Book. I'm Stephen McCrary. And I'm Brian Bales. And today we want to talk with you about the Bible. Specifically, we want to discuss Genesis 22 and 23. Walking Through the Book is all about these three things. We want to encourage Bible reading, uh, the fact that we can read through the Bible and know it, to demonstrate proper and responsible study of the Bible, and to emphasize what the text says no more and no less. Before we start doing that, though, we do want to let you know how to get in touch with us. You can find us on Facebook at Walking Through the Book, uh, or you can email us, Walking Through the Book, at ProtonMail.com, or you can look at the website of the North Columbus Church of Christ where I preach, that's NorthColumbusChristians.com, and I encourage you to reach out to us in any of those ways. Uh, also, you can t- contact Bryant. Bryant, uh, why don't you let it, let them know uh, how to contact you? And uh, I think we had some feedback on a previous episode that you wanted to address.
0: Yeah, so you can find the website for the congregation that I'm uh, a member of in Savannah, Georgia, at GardenCityCOC.org. We also have a uh, Facebook page. If you look up the Garden City Church of Christ, uh, it should pull up. And uh, yeah, so um, the uh, feedback that Stephen was just talking about is uh, a very, very dear friend of mine um, who listened to the podcast was gracious, gracious enough to point out um, something that I actually said uh, in error on the last episode. And I'll um, kind of make a comment about um, just being very grateful for that after I point out just really quickly what that error was. So it was talking about the blessing that uh, fell past Jacob's first three sons. That's Reuben, Levi, uh, Reuben, Levi, and Simeon. Um, And in Genesis 34, verse 25, it's where Simeon and Levi went and destroyed the men of Shechem after they circumcised themselves. Um, and I think I said it was three of Jacob's sons uh, last week on the podcast episode, um, but it was just those two those two brothers who went to do that. And then chapter 35, verse 22, is where Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. So you've got Simeon and Levi uh, annihilating the men of Shechem, and then you have Reuben basically just sleeping with his father's concubine. And then in Genesis 49, uh, now this is the scripture that I think I referred to without actually looking at it specifically last week. It's um, Genesis 49, verse 3 and 4. It's where uh, Jacob is blessing his sons, and these blessings relate to things that were going to come in the future. Um, For instance, verse 8 through 12, has a blessing pronounced on Judah where the the kingship is granted to him in the future. In verse 10, it says, until Shiloh comes, which seems to be a messianic prophecy about Christ and and his coming. Um, But in verse 3 and 4, Reuben, uh, Jacob focuses on the fact that Reuben will not inherit the chief blessing uh, because of of his defiling his father's bed. And then in verse 5 through 7, Simeon and Levi he couples them together and also says that his blessing is going to pass over them because they were cruel and his soul will not enter their counsel or their honor uh, because they're in anger. They slew uh, they slew men unjustly. So he said in verse 7, curse be their anger. Um, but then in verse 8, he says, Judah, you are he whom your brother shall praise. Um, so that's to correct what I said uh, last week. Now on the, the gratitude for that. So um, this, this friend of mine who pointed that out, uh, really on walking through the book, we, we embrace uh, any feedback like that. Um, if, you, if you hear anything that, that sounds off, whether it's myself or Steven, um, we, we both welcome um, any kind of feedback, whether it's a critique of something that was said that seems to be off, um, whether it's an invitation to maybe study a concept or statement or view a little bit further. Um, we, we, we invite engagement from you as the listener. Um, you can find us on Facebook. You can uh, you know message us on Facebook personally, um, or email us, like Stephen said. But we always welcome feedback, whether it's uh, correction or whether it's encouragement. Um, we just we would love to hear from you, and so we'd be we'd be glad for more comments like that. Uh, if you hear something said wrong, just please feel free to to let us know because we're we're grateful uh, we're grateful for that correction. We do want to make sure that uh, the things that we say are biblically sound. Um, we want to make sure we have our facts straight, and uh, we want to make sure that our understanding of Scripture is doctrinally straight as well. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that um, before we got into the episode. Uh, and also, uh, we're all
1: growing. Right, um, right. A friend of mine once said that, you know, we're all works in progress, and, uh, and, and we need to keep that in mind. Uh, and so... In you reaching out to us you're helping us grow right um and and the bible we believe the Bible has all the answers that we need to live this life in a pleasing way to god and in fact, uh, we believe it to be perfect as it is and complete in that sense uh but we're not perfect and and we're not complete in the greatest of senses, and we're still human, and we can get something wrong. So I just just wanted to echo what you said there, Brian.
0: Right. And then just to kind of give an outline um, of what we're doing and walking through the book. uh, So I wanted to just read um, something from Psalm 119, uh, just related to what what, what we're doing and why. Um, So the psalmist in Psalm 119 said, uh, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as as in all riches in verse 14. He says, "I I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word." And then verse eighteen, he says, "Open my eyes, that I may see wondrous things from your law." You know, and and that that really is the attitude that we're striving to cultivate is, is a deep love for God's word, uh, not not for the commentaries of men, not for the insights of of anybody except just reading the word and gaining from it things that God helps us to see that. Help us to draw closer to him. So what we're doing is is simple. Uh, We do an initial reading where we just we read through the text and then we make some just initial observations based on what we read in the text. And oftentimes those things are observations that we we literally uh, did not notice before reading it together on the episode. Um, So oftentimes those are uh, off-the-cuff observations, Um, just like Stephen said with us, you know, still learning and growing. And then we look at uh, themes and we try to Think about how the, the story we're reading may have greater connections both to the greater themes in Genesis, but also just to the overall story of the Bible that we're aware of, especially how things tie together in Christ and the church for us today. Um, and then we always try to conclude with uh, uh, usually just a, a brief um, section of application where we try to think about how we can maybe make some of the things that we've been talking about a little more uh, real in our thoughts or in our daily lives, and, and really try to make it something that we can we can put into practice. Um, so that's, that's, that's both the purpose and, and, and the goal and, uh, and, and the why to, to what it is that we're, we're doing and walking through the book.
1: Very good. With nothing else, let's begin our reading. Bryant, I think you'll have Genesis 22 and i'll read genesis 23 after him and we're both reading from the new king james version
0: Genesis 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey And took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah has borne children to your brother Nahor, Huz, his firstborn, Buz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hezo, Pildash, Jidlaeth, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name was Reuma, also bore Tebah, Geham, the Hosh, and Meacah.
1: Genesis 23 Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjatharba, Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my lord. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you may bury your dead. Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at the full price as property for a burial place among you. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of his city saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me. I will give you the money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My lord, listen to me. The land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron. And Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, four hundred shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah his wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. So when we consider some initial observations from these chapters, I just want to throw something out there, Bryant, and then we can go into what you might have. I'm always impressed to me. It always impresses me, excuse me, that there's no uh, resistance from Abraham. Um, In verse 3, Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. He he gets to to work. He gets to business. That's kind of amazing to me. I don't really. It's it now you know, especially now that I have a son. It's it's kind of hard to imagine having that kind of resoluteness. Um, a lot of things going on here, but uh, you know, a couple of other things. This uh, this exchange between Abraham and Ephron is just so it it reminds me of two christians trying to let each other into a restaurant (laughs) and no you first no you first no you first and eventually someone's got to give right or you'll be stuck at that door trying to be polite for the rest of eternity but uh but but it it does show i mean there's just some interesting things to see there i'm sure
0: yeah uh I guess the, the first thing uh, that I'll say, this <laughs> I don't know if this is really a textual thing, but <laughs> studying through books of the Bible with uh, somebody where you're actually like talking through it and spending a lot of time in it is so exhilarating and exciting. And uh, it's because like the momentum of the book, it's like connections become more clear. It's like you read something and you're just immediately oh, yeah. filled with excitement. Like, whoa, there's so much here. And like, I don't know, there's something about the points that we've already made and the things that we've already looked at and the connections that we've looked at to the overall picture of the Bible. It's just, you know, when we were reading this, it's like, man, there's just, there's so much, there's so many wonderful things here, you know, and I don't know, maybe it's just because... You know, maybe, that's kind of where yeah. I am right now. It's like, <laughs> yeah, right. where do you start? Oh, it's yeah. like, there's, okay. There's, that's the thing, there's, it's so rich, uh, you, know? you know, and yeah it's it's like reading it for the first time and I, th- and I think a lot of that is due to just us talking through it in this way like really you know I've just mm-hmm. I've found mm-hmm. that you know you yeah. talk you talk with someone through scripture just just simply and it's just the amazing nature of, of books of the bible just it shines so brightly um, so I, I don't know yeah you know
1: one one thing one thing that, that comes to mind you know while you're doing it what came to my mind during it that I've never noticed in this reading um you know, chapter twenty-two, verse twenty-three. Bethuel begot mm. Rebecca. Well, isn't that going to be Isaac's right, yeah, wife? Yeah, interesting. Let me confirm that. Oh, real yeah, that's, quick.
0: that's yeah, that's verse uh, chapter twenty-four. Rebecca is going to be uh, chosen. Yeah, yeah, yep. the daughter of Bethuel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So
1: it, that that's one of the greatest things about this study that I'm, I'm seeing some things that are coming in from behind. Uh that led up to this, but also I'm seeing some seeds that are being planted. Okay, this is happening and this is going to come later on. And, uh, you know,
0: (laughs) so on that note, really though, what if, what if one of the greatest themes of Genesis is preparation, how God Mm. prepares Mm -hmm. his work, knowing what's coming later. What if that's why verse 20 through 24 is there. Think about even the creation account. You know, God, before he ever put man Mm -hmm. on earth, he prepared it first, you know, and then think about Abraham, like he's, he knows he wants to bless Abraham exceedingly, but he has to prepare Abraham for blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And for Abraham to get to the place he's at now required the momentum of how God had helped him and blessed him and refined him and spoken to him beforehand. So God... God uses Precisely. the momentum for more blessings, and he uses it to fulfill greater aspects of his plan and progress it on forward. And, I mean, Genesis 22, of course, if, if somebody is familiar with, with Scripture, they know that Genesis 22, you know, is obviously foreshadowing Jesus in relation to his sacrifice for us and, and substitution. And we'll talk more about that, but just just the idea of God's laying down ground, groundwork. And I think I think that's really what Genesis mm-hmm. is... I said that really weird Genesis, Gen- Genesis. That's what Genesis, I think, is all about. And think about, think Genesis. about later with Joseph. How much work does God do to prepare Egypt to be a place where right. Israel and his children can find refuge? How much work does God do to prepare Joseph mm-hmm. to be a wise ruler and prepare Joseph's brothers to be convicted and humbled? And anyway, yeah, I, I just I think what you just said is such a good observation because I. You saying what you just said, you know, really just triggered those thoughts. And again, that's just talking. You know, just talking about what it says, you know, just wow. Amazing.
1: Yeah. yeah, we're not you know, we're not studying studying some sort of uh planned out curriculum with this series. We're not going through uh lesson books or anything. But uh but yeah, I think you make make some awesome points there that, you know, God didn't ask Abraham to do this back in Ur of right, right. the Chaldees. He he didn't say take your take your nephew Lot who you love and and offer him as a sacrifice to me. Um, that there is a preparation aspect to this, and I think again I I think what you brought up I think is a valid thought because you see you we're going to see with Jacob mm-hmm. later on. Jacob couldn't do what he ultimately did. Um in fathering this nation until he went through what he went through. Right. Um, and all the, all the struggles that he went Mm -hmm, through, all the hard mm -hmm, times. mm -hmm. And so, uh, so there's just a, just a lot of things to, to think of there. That's, uh, that's, that's some really awesome points there. When we, when we think about what's going on in the text itself, um, all, all of this consideration that God has, right? Um, and in, in, in the preparation for it, and how even after this great, it almost the way that, that the Lord is speaking to him in verses, I would say verses 15 mm-hmm. to verse 18, it's almost a triumphant mm-hmm. thing. It's just like because of this, you know. And, and you know, this is interesting because there, there are some things that I do want to say in our application section concerning this passage that i think are some very important things to, to bring out but for now let's just think about the fact that jesus that 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 jesus that god says because you have done this thing and not mm. withheld mm. Uh, there there's right. something there wow. because you have done this thing um just something mm. for us to think about but but right after this it seems like abraham mm. loses sarah Hmm. And uh he mourns and he weeps for her and, and he, he he knows he has to bury her, or at least what the text seems to emphasize is that to bury his dead out of his sight. Um you know, death is something pretty serious to deal that you know that that people deal with and we all deal with, right? Um but Abraham going through this to find a proper place to bury her uh, and dealing with the people in that country again it, it's it's interesting where uh abraham is dealing uh um, i wouldn't say casually but he's dealing in positive ways with peoples and and, and nations that again are going to be a, a thorn in israel's right. side later on right the hittites are a, a big issue down the road um, maybe not as big as the Phil- Philistines, but, um, and interesting too, by the way, uh, the Hittites were considered for a long time to be this made up people that, that, you know, were made up in the Bible, but well, no, the archeological evidence found that this, uh, this people, the Hittites indeed did, did live. And, uh, now you can go into, into Hittite studies mm. at universities and, uh, so, you know, just, just, uh, wanted to throw out a little bit of, uh, I guess you'd say evidence yeah, out there. Um, but, uh, I don't know, do you, what are some other things that you saw there? I know we're, we've been speaking generally, but what are some specific things that jumped out at you, Bryant?
0: Well, I guess on the note of this, uh, you know, this exchange that happens with, um, the sons of Heth, Ephron and Abraham and burying Sarah, I mean, there's a whole chapter dedicated to this, you know, that's that's uh, a lot of focus. Um, And I I think in themes, I'll I'll point out some things that I thought uh, were really fascinating that I hadn't noticed before. But I guess just an initial observation is um, Abraham's humility uh, in verse seven and verse 12. So Abraham, Abraham, Abraham knows the land really belongs to him. Kind of like kind of like David and Saul. David knew he was really the king when Saul was persecuting him, right? Like he knew that, which makes it even more amazing that David willfully, uh, you know, has mercy on him and doesn't, doesn't kill him and let Saul continue to reign even while he's just going crazy, you know, and he knows, he knows the nation and the people that are his people, right? Um, you know, Abraham, he knows this is his land and he knows that God has promised that the Canaanites, you know, are evil. And their iniquity is not complete, and one day they'll be so evil that the land's just going to be taken from them anyway. And yet, in verse seven and twelve, while they're insisting on just giving him this land, he bows down to them twice. Uh, and I just think that's so amazing that Abraham didn't let God's promises make him become arrogant. And so I think you see his humility towards the Lord in verse twenty-two, but you see his humility towards. You know, I guess you could even maybe think, in a sense, God's enemies in verse 23. Now, these men seemed like good men, by the way. I mean, they were very polite to Abraham. They're very generous and kind. Um, and I think that's great. But I think the fact that Abraham was told the things he was told about Canaanites specifically, he had possessions, he had money, he had wealth and prestige because they considered him, you know, their lord. Even They even said in verse 6 that they considered him a mighty prince among them. Um so Abraham's humility it's just amazing how God continues to expose the deep things in Abraham's heart that are consistent with true faith. I, I just I'm, I'm amazed that um we're seeing that more and more as as Genesis progresses with Abraham. And would you say too that again in terms of this
1: preparation theme thinking about that a little bit more too the the whole construct of the book um you know, did it? This certainly wasn't something that that uh, Abraham might have done back when he was lying to Pharaoh. I mean, I, I don't mm. know. May, maybe there was mm. a build there where you know, um, but but obviously he he wants to get along with them, and they want to get along with him, and uh, and and that's that's a good thing, really, to have that level of humility that says, you know what, I don't have to work through all these things you know i can bury her wherever i want but i want to make sure that everything's okay with the inhabitants here right um, i think that speaks to something i think i think it's too easy uh it gets a little application but i think it's easy for us to burn bridges uh from time to time and uh, we need to be careful that we're not doing that So obviously chapter 22 is, as you said, Brian, a very uh, significant part of the book of Genesis.
0: And right. So I would also
1: say a significant part of, uh, of the Bible. Um, right. What do you think about this whole idea of, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. I guess I ask that mm. because if you look, you know, in the book of James, chapter 1, uh, God does not tempt man or, uh, you know, uh, some evangelists might even say that God does not test us. How would you, uh, pull that together and harmonize that? Hmm.
0: Yeah. So I, I love it. I think it's just like, uh, in Matthew chapter 15, there was a Gentile woman who come, who came to Jesus and he, he really was, I mean, kind of seems like it's kind of uncomfortable. You know, he says some things that are pretty hard on this woman. Um, you know, he tells, he tells his disciples and the woman, Hey, you know, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And she just keeps, she keeps begging him, you know, and eventually after begging him and Jesus saying, Hey, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. She says, Oh yes, that's right. But Lord, even the little dogs, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, even the little dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. And he says, Oh woman, your faith is great. Go, your, your daughter is healed. Those who have true humility, those whose hearts really fear the Lord, God can press their hearts to, to demonstrate the quality of humility that exists in them. And I love that. You see that throughout the Bible. The Psalms, the Psalms are a collection of poetry based on that idea in verse one, God testing the psalmists with trials and afflictions. And we have 150 Psalms, because of God's brilliance in drawing out magnificent truths from the heart of people who love God and will never give up on God. It's, it's just extraordinary. And, and the lessons we learn from righteous people being pressed are irreplaceable and so encouraging. And I think you see that with Paul in 2 Corinthians when he says, you know, we're struck, but we're not defeated. You know, we're always sorrowing, but yet we're always rejoicing. And so you see this idea through the word, like with Jesus and his crucifixion, when the righteous are pressed, God gets glorified even more. And, and so I, I think this is such a positive idea that, that still proves true when righteous people even today go through trials.
1: And the other side of it, we even learn something when the wicked are pressed. Um, I mean, I'm reminded right. of Great Paul before yeah. Agrippa in <clears throat> Acts 26 and I'm just going to read acts twenty six and uh uh let's let's say verse twenty six for the ki- for the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things for I'm convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a quarter corner excuse me, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost pers- persuade me to become a Christian." And, you know, Paul was talking about the evidences really about who the Christians are and uh, the distinctions between the Jews and the Christians and the fact that these things are openly talked about. And he presses him. He says, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And, of course, that is the message of the whole of Scripture that if you believe the law, if you believe the prophets, then you must believe in Jesus you must believe in jesus and if you don't you're rejecting what god has built up to um and 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 so you do see that distinction um would abraham have reacted the same way if god had called him from ur of chaldees and said go and and sacrifice your son if he had a son at the time i don't know but regardless i know that at this point he's not uh offended by this question. Um, in fact if we bring in Hebrews to tell us something about what Abraham said if you go back I believe it's in Hebrews 11 that Abraham apparently was believing that God could resurrect Isaac which is just sort of amazing because I don't know of any records around this time or any evidence in Genesis of all of resurrection Uh, and yet abraham was able to take that leap and it's not a leap of faith let let me say something very clear about faith while we're on this point because this is faith that brought abraham to do this but faith is not something that is unreasonable it's not just this blind like okay maybe this will work out uh just throwing you know throwing into the wind we'll just see where the wind takes us you know that's that's not faith what faith is really is something that's based on logic it's based on reason um i really in my heart believe that what abraham does at this point again is based on all the ways that god has proven himself to abraham over and over and over and over again and so abraham now has this relationship with god and he's intertwined with him to the point that that they're together in this and he doesn't distrust God. Um, so often, uh, so often in the Bible we see people with a distrust for those who uh, who are carrying the word of God. Um, another example, I think, would be Ahab. Um, is it Ahab with the prophet Micaiah? And he says, "Well, he he never speaks good things about me. I don't like him." you know remember jehoshaphat is they're they're going into a battle and Jehoshaphat's like is there a prophet of the lord that we may inquire of and ahab says "Now that well there's one there's micaiah but but i hate him he never says anything good about me well the reason he didn't say anything good about ahab was because micaiah was speaking the truth he was speaking the word of the lord and there really wasn't much of anything good about ahab um and so uh, these things in terms of the greater sense of what we're talking about in the Bible are very, very important and uh, and when we look at this in the greater thing too that that think about what God is calling upon Abraham to do and think about what uh, God is calling upon us to do in his word in the in the greater sense of it, God asks Abraham, To do what
0: he ultimately will do, but he doesn't let Abraham follow through with it. But I do want to say something related to what were you saying about Abraham's conviction um, of God being able to raise Isaac from the dead, and what you were saying about faith. I think that that's such an important clarification because you know the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our hearts. Soul, strength, and mind. Uh, the reality is faith actually engages the mind like nothing else does. Um, it's like it it God taps into a deeper part of our minds. And I think this is a proof of that. That faith actually can make the most extraordinary inferences. You see that with Jesus, by the way. Jesus would look into the law and he would see such astonishing inferences from the things that they were right there. I mean, it was written. And if someone would just relate the law to the very character and essence of God, the more they knew God, the more into the law they could see things that were right there, but they were hidden within it by inference. So Romans 4, Abraham received a promise from God about Isaac when his body and Sarah's womb were as good as dead and God was bringing life through and from death. And it says in Romans 4 that his trust was in a sense that God was able to call into being that which does not yet exist and even bring life from death. Um, So I think Abraham thinking through that and then hearing this thing that God said, go offer Isaac on the mountain as a burnt offering. Now, God said it. And I think Abraham understands that anything God says is consistent with his nature that we can trust that God is unfailing and constant. He is the true and the everlasting God. And so Abraham knows that he's not speaking in contradiction of his promise, but that God is speaking to more greatly fulfill his promise. So Romans 4 also mentions that Abraham glorified God when he believed God and didn't waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. And it seems like Abraham was even more amazed that God would choose to bring Isaac through the deadness of his old body and the deadness of Sarah's old womb. And I think the same thing here that, that the idea that God would continue to fulfill his promise in Isaac, even saying go and sacrifice him is even more amazing. And I just think it's, it's incredible because you think about it. Abraham was willing to watch the body of his only son, whom he loved, burn in fire. And he was willing to slay him with a knife himself, knowing that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. That, to me, is astonishing. And I want to just briefly, just really quick, mention a couple of themes in this that are amazing. God was willing to slay his son and watch his son, Hebrews 13 says, that Jesus, in a sense, went out of the camp to be burned. God, in a sense, was willing to watch his son be burned because he knew that it would be through that that his promise would be fulfilled. That's extraordinary. And he was willing, just like Abraham set up the altar here, Abraham built the altar. God built the altar of Christ's sufferings, knowing that it would be through that that his promise would be fulfilled. Another thing on that, In verse, uh, let's see, verse 8. Isaac was comforted and encouraged to go to the place of his death because his father gave him comfort and encouragement. Jesus was willing to go to the place of suffering and death because his father had given him comfort and encouragement.
1: On the basis of what God would provide.
0: Exactly. Yeah, amazing. The trust that, God will provide. Mm-hmm. Always, always consistent. You can always trust and count on God's consistency. That's one of the greatest lessons that God strives to teach us. Hebrews 6 talks about that. God wanting to show the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable nature of his, of his promises. He swore by oath. And it references, I think, chapter 22 of Genesis. You know, that this isn't just for Abraham to understand his unchangeable purpose, but us through this as well. And just how God did this. Wow.
1: Let me also say that I, we need not envision this happening with no emotion. Um, in fact, I would, right, I would, right, I would right, dare to say right. it's impossible that this happened without Abraham shedding tears and without Isaac oh, shedding yeah. tears at the possibility of what was going to happen. Um, but you know that That is a testament to us as well. the fact that they were able to be faithful to God uh and not let their emotion redirect what they were doing um and that's that's yeah, another right. big fallacy that we enter yeah. into this idea mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that oh you want to be faithful to god uh, you know you or or you want to be quote unquote harsh. That means you don't care about emotion, you know. If you think that emotion is not the point, then then you don't really care about serving God, or you don't you don't have any li- life in you. Um, that's a total misnomer. Um, different people show emotion in different ways, of course. We need to remember that. Um, but also, uh, some of the greatest decisions that we're going to make uh, in, in faithfulness to God will at times require us to shed tears over it. Uh, in right. the sense that this is not always going to be something that's easy, and we're never promised that. But you know, God's grace—this is what God's grace looks like. It looks like things are going to be awful and terrible, but all of a sudden, God says, "No, don't, don't, you know, uh, don't harm the boy." And 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 right. let me, you know, to link this into what we're talking about too, there are, well now well, let me let me hold on to that, let me hold on to that, and we'll get back to that in the next section um and of course you you've got the restatement of the promises and again in this victorious fashion, I think you know and because you've done this yeah. thing. Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Um, That's just an awesome, awesome thing. Yeah, It's an awesome, triumphant restatement of the promises to Abraham. Um, How happy they must have, have been. So... And of course, Abraham calls this place the Lord will provide, and in fact, that's exactly what happened. There indeed was a ram that God provided, and they did indeed uh, offer up a burnt offering uh, instead of of Isaac and uh, and and here's Moses recording, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Um, great stuff for us to look at and consider.
0: Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Because it's almost like um, God was looking for ways to bless Abraham and reveal himself in Abraham. You know, like God knew it was in Abraham's heart. Right. So it's like he was he was doing exactly what he needed to do at exactly the right time to bless Abraham even more. I mean, I think the language blessing, I will bless you, multiplying, I'll multiply your descendants is basically saying, like, listen, this covenant I made with you, I'm going to take it even further. Whatever blessings you thought I was going to bless you with, I'm going to put blessings on top of those blessings. Whenever way I multiply, I'm going to put multiplying on top of that multiplying. And I think he's saying it's just going to be immeasurable blessings, unfathomable blessings. And when there's blessings, he'll put more and more and more and more on those blessings. Think about the effect that this had on things beyond just the earthly realm, right? I think that's amazing. And and I think God was trying to mark, How much grace he invests in this simple faith, the simple faith that trusts God, how much God is willing to do. And I love possess the gate of your enemies. I'm reminded of 1 John 5, 4 through 5, where John writes in those verses, what is the victory that has overcome the world? It is our faith, the simplicity of faith. God would not allow any other outcome except complete victory to Abraham. He like when he said this, there can be no other outcome. So the times when Israel was apostate or unfaithful, it is not it cannot be the end because God has promised you will possess the gate of your enemies. There will be victory.
1: There will always be a remnant.
0: That's right. That's right. You know, and I think that's meant to be a mark for us as well, that when we obey the gospel, that seed of conviction that takes obedience to the gospel to the point of substance. And when we when we respond to the way that God has directed us to, that the Christians in the New Testament were exhorted. And this, this kind of gets into application, but they were exhorted. If they just hold to the foundation that they were built on, God will bless them and keep them and faithfully perfect them. It, it really is salvation by grace through faith. If, if we just have a true seed of faith like Abraham here, God will richly supply he will richly bless us, and he will absolutely keep and protect us until we attain to the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. So I just, I love how far God goes to mark this. And you think about the impact that God can help us to have on the world around us through this faith. And I've just, I've been going on and on here with this, but it really is just so extraordinary. You know, it's just amazing how things like this that, are just this short short section of text because it's related to God Himself have such amazing implications. And then from that, uh, it, I I really think that we see
1: right after this the death of Sarah Abraham. Uh, in the wake of this, he's prepared for you know he's he he amped himself up mm. for losing Isaac so mm-hmm, much, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yeah, the possibility is that. You know, maybe he's more prepared for Sarah dying. Uh, I, I don't know that for sure, but uh, but there are some some of the, those things we want to get to in the application section. Did you have anything else on this section before we head into that?
0: I guess one more thing is how this relates to the feeding of the five thousand. Uh, Mark chapter 6, 36 through thirty eight. You know, Jesus. You know, the disciples tell Jesus, like, "Hey, send the people away. It's too late. We don't have enough money. You know, get them out of here." Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they're like, whoa, I mean, how are we going to afford to feed this many people? I mean, we don't even, and so this little kid over here has got a little bit of food, but what is that, you know? And then Jesus tells them to set them down in groups. And then he feeds them in verse 42 through 44 to the point where not only are people filled completely, but they have 12 baskets left over. And I think the point of that whole lesson, or not, not the lesson, but the account of what Jesus did there. When Jesus said, you give them something to eat, when God tells us to do something, he'll always provide what's necessary to accomplish it. God only ever speaks what he will equip us to accomplish. If we trust him, he won't just give us what's adequate toward the fulfillment of what he said. He will give us more than enough so that we are richly satisfied with his righteousness and with the blessings that come. And I think like Abraham here, it's the same principle. God didn't just adequately match what Abraham did, he exceeded it. And I think that's the idea of the feeding of the 5000 that Jesus was trying to teach. If we just if we just trust God and we follow his voice wherever it goes, he will not let us down. He is seeking to bless us. He's looking to grant us the righteousness and, and the and the fulfillment of his kingdom. And again, I know that's kind of getting into our application section, but just what what God does here is so extraordinary.
1: Well, there may, there may be times when we don't feel equipped to carry right. out carry out yes. something, but, right? But the, those may be the times where we have to go back and take a look and see. Well, what is it we're trying to do, right? And what's the yeah, point amen. of what we're trying to do? Yeah, great um,
0: point. Yeah, so yep. those are times that really test again our our heart towards the Lord, because it's really at those times that we need to remember who God is and remember His power in relation to our inadequacy and just like Abraham to be more encouraged through that. So on chapter 23, um, just one thing on chapter 23, you know, I think there's a theme of life, death and redemption price. Um, I think just in terms of how this relates to the overall picture of the Bible, I think chapter 22 shows uh, how God would bring life through death. But then verse chapter 23 makes it clear that God would pay the full price for that. I think it's interesting that Abraham would not bury Sarah in a place that he did not fully possess and pay entirely for at full price. God does not redeem something. He does not seek to possess something without paying the full price for it. And that shows his zeal for it and his humility in obtaining it because Abraham could have taken this for free. Just like God can take us, he should have a right to take us for free, right? But instead he goes the extra mile. God pays full price for our lives and God will not allow us to be redeemed without paying full price for our lives. And so I think it's interesting you see, you know, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only son, but the principle of paying full price when when you could get something a different way, uh, being a part of how this is going to work out, I think, is revealed in chapter 23 in a really interesting way and public. Well, and, you know.
1: and also when when no one would think worse of you for having done. So, right. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, yep. But yep. but it speaks to the divine concept of justice Right, um, God. Right, God's right, not right. doing what He's doing just just on basis of what we think of Him. Right, because um, He could get away with a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no. Amen. You know, yeah. If, if 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 that's what He was going by, um, but but He judges Himself based on His own levels, and 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 that's the thing that people need to realize that we all need to realize is that you know we're not we're not being pushed down. Uh, to some minuscule place by God, God is actually calling us to the same place that he judges himself by that he right. that he holds himself to and uh, and that's a great place to be but mm-hmm. uh, but that's a really that's a really well well said point because the levels that again the level that God is calling upon Abraham to give, he is willing to give right and to give to such a degree that really even if abraham had gone through with it it still would be beyond that uh in a sense but but it, but it's set up in this similar way and uh and while we can appreciate what abraham does so much more we i i believe we can appreciate what god uh did at this time and continues
0: to do amen Praise
2: god.
1: While we're talking about faith, uh, one thing I wanted to bring up in terms of application is, you know, when we people say just have faith, I really that begs the question in me: faith in what? Um, what am I having faith in? Well, you have faith in God. Well, what does that mean? And sometimes we might go to Hebrews eleven in verse one, which says, "Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen." And sometimes you look at that as the definition of faith, the even there are even some bibles that have that <laughs> heading of faith defined in there. Um and and not to be nitpicky, I guess, but I don't really I don't really particularly agree with the concept that that is a definition of faith. When you look at a definition of faith, faith is just belief, right? So faith is essentially the same thing as now now When you have faith and the faith, as mentioned in the New Testament, that's something different. We see the faith as being something different. But I would venture to say that what Hebrews 11, verse 1 tells us is the things that faith does, um, the manifestations of faith, the kind of faith that is called for. And so when it says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, it tells us that faith allows us to hope for things that, people in the world that most would not consider to be real and also that faith allows us to see things see evidence that most people are not going to see and this ties into plenty of old testament passages but also to uh what jesus said about the israelites that that you know their, their ears are grown dull Um, you know, why he spoke to them in parables was to encourage them to really strive and work to seek him. And that's exactly what Abraham did. He, he strove and he worked to seek God and to have this relationship with him. And his faith was a manifested faith. It was a faith that manifested something that, you know, Hebrews goes on to tell us in in chapter 11, that he looked for a land that had foundations, whose builder and maker is God, um, the, the fact that he looked for a, a, a final, a, a ultimate land. And I don't believe he ever saw that land in his life, you know. Um, but he followed God to such a degree that he was willing to give uh, of all of it. You know, it's interesting when we look at Romans, Abraham is often cited by those, I would say, of a Calvinist nature. I say those of a Calvinist nature because... Um, they, they're they kind of spread out right now, right? That's That seems to be a big problem uh, in the religious world today. Uh, even if you don't think of yourself as a Calvinist, you probably hold to some Calvinist tenets that you may not readily uh, understand. And Calvinism is something that's actually false teaching. But a couple of things that we see in here, I've already mentioned the fact that God says because you have done this thing, Uh, verse 18 of chapter 22, because you have obeyed my voice. But I do want to focus back on the core verse that we had at the beginning of the episode, where he says in verse 12, uh, now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. What kept God from knowing beforehand? Um, You know, Calvinism would suggest that God knows everything that God knows every decision you're going to make before you make it and so there's no uh, there's no way that you can change the outcome basically that uh, that your life is set and whatever choice you make is because God has said that you were going to make that choice before the beginning of the world the problem with that again is the problem of sin did God intend for adam and eve to sin did god intend for his people to sin all throughout the history of israel um surely god didn't intend for these terrible things to happen god didn't intend for sodom and gomorrah to be as evil as they were but we saw just a couple of episodes how, how evil these people were uh and, and so in the same sense god is saying now i know um i, I don't think it's that god was ignorant uh, or that he was unable to know, but I think there's a sense where he sets these boundaries for himself so that we can exercise our free will, uh, so that we make a choice. Abraham had a choice. And uh, and so I, I just wanted to make that point uh, pretty plain so that we can think about that together. Uh, Brian, do you have anything on that?
0: Yeah, it's interesting when he says, now I know you fear God. Uh, that's actually the first time that fearing God is actually mentioned in the entire book. And I guess, I mean, it's in the entire Bible. It's the first time that that's said. And I think that that marks forever one of the greatest principles of what it means to fear God, and that's to give him the very best of what we are and who we are and what we what we possess and to hold nothing back from him because of how highly we see him. Um, and I think that's, that's... We
1: revere him and yes, respect him.
0: Yeah, amen. You know, when we... To understand what God has done for us, what he's given us, you know, it should encourage us to give God all of ourselves, you know, like Romans chapter 12, the first few verses talk about, you know, giving our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord improving proving his perfect will. God. You know, and I think that that's what you see in Abraham is he was willing to give the very best of, of who he was and what he had. And if God asked for it, he was willing to do it immediately and quickly. Because of what he knew to be true of God,
1: and we can do that,
0: right yep, you know, like you said before, you know God provides everything we need
1: to obey him right that's still true, right. Um, again, one of the tenets that I think is is kind of pushed down from this Calvinistic leanings sometimes is that we cannot do anything good. Mm. Mm-hmm. like there's no there's some sort of inborn quality in us from Adam's sin that we can't do anything good. Well, I'm sorry. Can I obey God? Can I repent of my sins? And of course, the hardcore Calvinist would say, "Well, that's not you repenting. That's God, you know, doing this to you and manipulating you." No, God doesn't manipulate us. You know, I I don't want to get too much on a soapbox there, but um but I do want to make that point and help us to understand that God has empowered us with the ability to reason, to think through things. Abraham had that ability. Uh, he wasn't just this pawn that was programmed to do this he 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 knew what was going on he decided to follow god he manifested his faith and that's that's a powerful example for us to emulate uh you know god in this same sense i want to get back to the idea of god calling upon abraham to do what he himself did um god does call for us to give of ourselves he doesn't call for us to give us uh, give him our children of course the sad fact is that down the road we're going to see the children of israel in the nation of israel give them give their own children uh up to false gods and uh, how terrible a thing that is when you see in the old testament uh, the reference to they had their children pass through the fire that's not talking about just walking over coals That's the fact that they literally sacrificed their children to these deities, uh, these false deities. And so uh, we need to know that and and, and understand that that can still happen today. Uh, We can can sacrifice our children for worldly things, not literally physically sacrifice them, but we can give them up to the false gods of education, the false gods of entertainment, the false gods of... uh, you know all sorts of things you you put that emphasis upon the world to your children, well, guess who's going to win out? Is it going to be God of the world? Their focus is going to be on the world, but also in a you know what does God call on us to do? Jesus says in luke nine and verse twenty three then he said to them, all if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it." But whoever desire, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to, to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. So right there, God is calling upon us, Jesus is calling upon us to give of ourselves, deny ourselves, sacrifice Uh, be willing to give up whatever he asks us to give up and how do we know that we know that by reading and studying his word Uh, precisely what we're trying to do with this whole program Um, and and i do want to sort of revisit from that standpoint too that's that sacrificing to god from that stance and knowing that we give everything to him that he asks for that will prepare us properly for the difficult parts of life um, again, I, I can't say that I know absolutely from the text that this uh, that this moment prepared Abraham for the death of Sarah. But I know that being a Christian prepares me uh, and allows me to cope with the losses and the struggles of life much more than I had beforehand. Uh, before I was a Christian, I remember the just the just an aspect of fear being present in my life before I was a Christian and I didn't know that's what it was at the time but it was just this terror uh just general you know it wasn't where I couldn't live my life necessarily but anyway I don't want to get too far into that but uh but the whole point is that if we give ourselves to God and we put ourselves under his wing he's going to protect us he's going to shield us and take care of us did you have anything on that Bryant any of that Okay. One other thing I did want to mention too, uh, in terms of the interaction between Abraham and Ephron, uh, if you remember, there's a time when uh, the, I think it was the Pharisees asked Peter, "Well, does your master give a temple tax?" And uh, in Matthew 17 and verse 25, uh, Peter says, "Yes." And when he come to the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, "What do you think, Simon?" From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Um, There's an element there that I really want to focus on in relationship to this and a good application for all of us. Jesus says, nevertheless, lest we offend them. Um, We have to be very careful that our knowledge and our understanding of the liberties and freedoms that we might have, uh, there are going to be times where we have to push that to the side for the sake of interpersonal relationships and for that strengthening of relationships. Uh, you think about the testimony that these people must have had of Abraham after this. Already, he was a prince among them, but uh, but later on, how much more after this moment that he had this level of consideration and this level of caution in what he was doing? Um, I think that's just a great lesson for us in in dealing with each other, uh, especially. Those of us who are members of a local congregation, when you're working together, uh, keep this passage in mind, and the consideration and the caution that Abraham has, and the humility that he shows, and how much that harmonizes with the humility that Jesus had, and the carefulness that he had, a, you know, a bruised reed he will not break, uh, smoking flax he will not quench. So this idea that he, he was careful in, in what he was doing. Um, and I'm not saying that we never say anything, of course, uh, but, but there has to be a sense where we understand that this, this sense of restraint, and that, that's really one of the things that personally I want to try to focus on in 2018 is this idea of, of restraint. And I know we're coming up on this at this time of the recording, we're coming up on new year's pretty soon. Um, this idea of holding back and having this, sense of self-control is really, really important for us to consider. Again, Abraham could have walked all over them, but what a great lesson that, that he is so careful with, with his interactions.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I think kind of on that, um, when we understand how much God exalts us and how unworthy we are for that exaltation, it, it encourages us to let go of personal, uh, desires or personal exaltation. I think it's interesting that, um, Abraham wasn't made arrogant uh, by God exceedingly blessing him, saying, like, you know, blessing, I will bless you, multiplying will multiply, you'll possess the gate of your enemies. You could think Abraham could get, you know, pretty big-headed at that point. Or when the the Hittites come to him and say, Oh, Lord, you're a prince among us. Take it. Could think Abraham could think, man, things are going, things are going pretty good. You know, but it's like yeah. the more Abraham is blessed, the more he's humbled. You know, and so Being blessed by God should encourage us to be more humble. Um, We should want to not be noticed. We should want to fade into the background. We should want to exalt the people around us. Uh, We should want to be placed lower than everybody else. We should want to make sacrifices uh, so that we can serve others. I think it's interesting that Abraham demanded that he sacrifice this money. Um, You know, and I think God's grace, what you see in the New Testament, is Jesus... Uh, one passage is luke chapter 12 um, jesus said in verse 32 of luke 12 do not fear little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom sell what you have and give alms provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old a treasure in the heavens that does not fade uh or does not fail rather where no thief approaches nor moth destroys for your where your treasure is there your heart will be also that's a challenging passage um, and whatever phase of life you're in, you just need to make sure that to that, to that teaching of Jesus, that you can say amen to that passage. Um, the kingdom that we've received, I think, in relation to us and Abraham, is even greater than what Abraham received. And I think you see with people like the Apostle Paul is a life of sacrifice unseen beforehand by anybody in the Old Testament. The more clear God's blessings become, the more equipped we are to live humble lowly quiet sacrificial lives so just like abraham as well humbled himself even before his enemies uh, that's what jesus did and that's what we're told to do at the ends of romans romans 12 so i just think there's there's a lot of lessons to be learned from abraham's humility and just how his humility manifested itself in very distinct and marked ways and those those ways ought to be present uh i think in our lives even more so
1: you know, in the last program, we were uh I think we were criticizing um, Abraham for lying to Abimelech about his wife uh, or engineering that, and I bring that up because we're talking in such glowing terms about Abraham right now, and the reason we're doing that is because we're so astonished at the fact that this really occurred this this really happened. Um, and the reason I bring up him lying to Abimelech is that, you know, one thing I've heard, I haven't looked at, for example, the Talmud, a lot of the Jewish commentaries, but one thing I even heard today listening to a uh, podcast was that um, a lot of the Jewish Talmudic like commentaries on the Old Testament uh, really talked about the Old Testament biggies, like the big figures in such glowing terms that they almost made them into superheroes that could do no wrong. Um, but that's not the way that the Old Testament is actually written. Uh, you have men who were not perfect, who did sometimes unspeakable things. Uh, and, and and yet that confirms to us that these things are not just legends that were invented. Uh, these are not legends about You know, Hercules, who could do no wrong. Um, These are true stories that actually occurred. And the fact that they really did occur. The fact that Abraham came away from this and did not sit on his laurels, did not take his victory of faith and run roughshod over others in the world. Um, That's just an awesome thing. It's something that we can aspire to, um, you know, not for Abraham's sake, but for the sake of God. And because we see the same thing in Jesus, we, we seek it because we see it in him and we want that in our lives and we know that's best right. for us.
0: Yeah. And I, I definitely want to say as well, kind of on that note, you know, faith really equalizes all people of all time together, you know, cause we, we share the same heart. Um, but on that too, you know, these are really challenging things. You know, I don't, I don't want to talk about application like, like I've got this, you know, down in my own life because I, I definitely don't, and I, I struggle really badly um, with applying these things even fundamentally. Um, but you know, it's important to see that it's it's important to see the qualities of godliness as they are, and no matter how much we struggle, no matter how much we fail to still see this, this is the mark. This is, this is the reality that God is trying to draw us into, you know, and when, when, when we are weak, he is strong. And so, you know, we do struggle and, and we, we read these things and sometimes it's, it's almost intimidating. You know, you think, man, if Abraham, if Abraham was living like this, you know, way before, you know, even the law came, wow, shame on me. But it really, it ought to be encouraging that, that in, in the simplicity of faith, God can help us patiently. And I need God's patience, and I imagine you do too. And faith faith puts us in the same place. You know, if God could help Abraham from lying about his wife and being an heir of the Chaldeans, well, through Jesus Christ and his resurrection, we can be helped as well.
1: And we can seek that grace, that same grace that Abraham Amen. received. Yep. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. Uh, We hope you'll join us again next time when we cover Genesis 24. Until then, God bless you. Study well. Be lights to his glory.